Hey everybody, welcome to episode 22 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Caster-Rappel, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins, how you doing today? How's it going? I'm pretty good. How you doing? Not bad, not bad. I had a pretty uh, pretty casual weekend last weekend. I opted not to go to Oklahoma City Grand Prix in favor of just kind of staying local, played in an IQ, got crushed by Ryland in the top eight, so you know, uh, the usual. Ryland, holy shamgar on Twitch? Yes, yeah. So that was fun, but uh, no no big events for me this previous weekend. Yeah, I know one of your teammates top-aided uh, GPOKC, right? Oh yeah, huge shout-out to JJ, Julian John, who uh, top-aided with Greentron. JJ, in the Invitational the weekend prior, was kind of like flip-flopping back and forth between what deck he wanted to play in Modern. And he had been playing Grixis Death Shadow, and we had all kind of like told him that you know, his his format experience, like, he's a good Magic player, but his format experience with Modern in general was just kind of, like, lacking a little bit. So he, picking up Grixis Death Shadow is, like, a deck that really requires a lot of thought on, or a lot of experience in, in the format, just to know what kind of game plan you're trying to enact. So we told him that he should probably just, like, drop that for a little bit and try something else. And we went through a bunch of lists of things, and eventually we convinced him to play Greentron. And it worked out perfectly, and he top eight of the Grand Prix. So that was awesome. Congrats to him. You don't need quite as much format knowledge to cast Karn on turn three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he did that uh, quite a bit that weekend, so it was, it was pretty good, pretty solid. So before we get too far afield here, uh, I want to introduce our special guest for the podcast today. We have with us two-time Scottish national champion, many-time World Magic Cup competitor, I think two-time World Magic Cup top eighter, Stephen Murray. So hey, Stephen, how's it going? I'm doing all right. I've been working here the whole time hearing about your green friend playing Tron. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're supposed to pretend that you just walked in. It's very, you're breaking the illusion. Breaking, uh, but secretly I was just sitting in the corner. (laughs) <laughs> but sitting in the corner with his ears plugged so that he couldn't hear us right exactly that's that's what we want the people to believe so steven also how are you doing how, how's how's your day going oh it's not a whole lot happening on a I, I i can't say anything good or bad about today other than the fact that it is very cold and i didn't go out did you get some magic in at least on account of me not being able to play magic online on my laptop magically stranded at the moment oh that's frustrating uh an event on that's frustrating when how when's the last time you got to play magic hopefully not the world magic cup because that's like two weeks ago now it's an unstable draft on friday which was a lot of fun solid solid and i know you're you're really into keeping the fun side of magic not just the super spiky side even though you know you certainly played your fair share of high level tournaments so i definitely want to talk about draft and unstable and, and keeping magic fun in a little bit. But I, I think I kind of want to start out with just sort of the the World Magic Cup. I know you guys, you guys made day two this year, maybe not the best performance that Scotland has ever had, but but how did that go? How, how do you feel about that? Well, the, the World Magic Cup as a whole it was, as always, a fantastic event mm-hmm. to, to be in. Like It feels very different from every other event. While we obviously were quite disappointed at and immediately losing two close matches to be eliminated. Still, it was such a a good event apart from the... Yeah, yeah. I've obviously never been to the World Magic Cup. So what makes it 
like I feel like I hear that from a lot of people that that it's awesome, it's a great tournament, but but I I don't really know exactly what you know makes it so good from a player's perspective. Um, it, it's a little bit hard to pin down precisely because you know saying it has a great atmosphere doesn't really explain anything unless you're in the atmosphere. But uh, because because of the makeup of specifically a set number of players from all these different countries, it's very mixed and it's not just a as usual pro tour where the vast majority of everyone there are people you're who've already been there before. They're all for they're all just a shapeless mass of pros trying to do their thing. <laughs> Magic Cup. There's there's a real feeling of uh, camaraderie between a lot of the team players. Countries that have very, very little exposure to high level events. And for them this is the biggest event of the year and you can tell how much it means to be there. So, you know, as being from Scotland, d- does that sort of contribute to that feeling? since Scotland is not exactly the largest country at the World Magic Cup. It's certainly there are uh, worse countries to be in, in terms of accessibility for tournaments. Yeah. Scotland has had a GP. We used to get, in the old system, made, like one PTQ like every two years type of thing. So there's definitely a history of having very limited access. So as a result, the, like the Magic communities, we, we aren't a big country, most of the players that travel to tournaments know each other, so... The, typically the people in Scotland travel outside of Scotland when they want to play a lot of Magic tournaments? I have sort of, because... So public transport in the UK is expensive for the most part. It is not canonical. TPTQs from England, for example. And because we're on an island, even though we're in Europe, flights out of the Scottish airports are like five times more expensive than like flights out of the, the London airports. Oh my uh, god. To fly to Madrid. Because I looked at it, obviously, after the World Magic Cup, want to play some more magic, I looked up Madrid flights, and they were all like £150 or something. Talking about getting flights out of London the same day for 25 Jeez. Yeah, that's not ideal. Have you been able to manage that? Like, do you just have to limit the number of tournaments that you go to? even when you're trying to grind pretty hard? I was actually very uh, privileged in the past in the PTQ system because my dad worked for Network Rail, which is basically a railway company. Part of his employment perks, his family got train passes. So I was able to go to England taking PTQs, getting a lot more experience and qualifying for pro tours from raiding England over and over again. <laughs> from raiding England. Well, that's that's a Scottish tradition, right? Surely it's not very successful, which I guess <laughs> is appropriate. <laughs> Excellent. You know, one of the things that people get really into, or at least like kind of excited about with the, the WMC, is that, you know, that national pride, or at least you guys seem to have a lot of fun with the kilts and the woad and, and the, the caps and that sort of thing. You know, how did that all start? You know, like, whose idea was that, I guess? At, like, big events, I'm always a fan of sort of dressing up fancy. When I went to Pro Tour Yokohama in 2007, mm-hmm. like, one of the other Scottish guys went with his uncle, wore the full kill and everything, and the locals just absolutely loved it. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to another country for all this stuff, I'm, I'm going to get out the kill and wear it whenever possible. 
the World Magic Cup, I was every time I've been what gently for trying to get people to dress up alongside with me because that everyone everyone loves it. Some years everyone gets on board. Sometimes they don't. We had a, a good team where everyone wanted to do something a little bit special for it, so we went the extra mile and got some face paints and got some bow ties. We actually got some vests as well, but in practice they actually looked off. We just looked far better without the, the tarp. And vest. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm I'm glad that you put some care and thought into it. Well, I. I it's definitely one of the fun things about the World Magic Cup is when do try hard. Like a lot of the, like the South American teams of previous years, have been outstanding. This year, when at the start of day one, like the Mexican team turned up and they had a bunch of cool stuff on as well, mm-hmm. and started you know dancing around a little bit and like waving stuff at us, or we sort of like postured up to them and just when they were like, are we? Is this a battle? <laughs> you know, uh, Duncan like stuck his hand out and said, friends! And then we all shook our hands. Uh, so then from that point on, whenever we walked past them, we would just like make pointy fingers at them and go, friends! <laughs> That's awesome. I think I think that kind of like illustrates the atmosphere that you were talking about a little bit where, you know, it's hard to describe, but, you know, if, if people are just kind of like having fun doing their thing, that can definitely kind of like illustrate the attitude that everybody has at the tournament. Yeah, definitely. Steven, I know you've talked in the past about like how important having fun at magic tournaments and, and, and having fun while playing magic is to you. Like, is this a part of that? Or, I mean, I guess obviously it is a part of having fun at a tournament, but do you want to talk a little bit about sort of that philosophy? Yeah, well, I, I would definitely say that a lot of people seem to have this problem with being able to simultaneously try your best during the game have fun at the same time. I mean, it, it seems to come sort of naturally to me because even though I'm like I'm, I'm smiling, I'm talking to people, like I'm I'm books and stuff in the middle of the game, I'm still trying to play my best at all times. If I like, if I wasn't having fun, like there are definitely lots of people out there who are going to every tournament they can, not enjoying it, and they just any time they don't spike it, they just feel miserable afterwards, and that's just not a very yeah, not not even re- very realistic. And obviously, to, to to each their own. Like if if it's uh, if some people will approach magic more like a must be conquered rather than a game that is also incidentally very fun. Certainly, lifts the whole the overall experience of a tournament if you can have fun while you're doing it, or you you're playing a deck that you enjoy. You know, you can lose even if you're playing the the absolute like strictly speaking best deck in a room are like all the safest mm-hmm. most boring choices yeah if you win or lose while having fun then it's not a waste of a weekend right exactly like so many times at the end of a pptq i hear like well geez that was a waste of a saturday but like exactly you, you knew right. going in that you probably weren't going to get first place you got to find some way to make it worth doing, even if you don't get first place out of, even if you're not the one out of 30 people there that wins the tournament. You can certainly definitely enjoy yourself while playing, you know, the best deck and interacting with people all that much. Like it's, it's certainly possible to, to be per- perfectly happy doing your own thing. And I think it's just a, like an attitude thing. If It helps a lot just having friends around. Yeah. Uh, where even if you're having a bad day, everything just seems a lot better. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that team tournaments are helpful for that sort of thing. I mean, I've actually had very few like team GPs in the past. Probably more World Magic Cups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. It, it does make such a big difference. If you're all in the same wavelength, much better for just in between rounds where well, someone needs to go get food, push the stuff, or we'll commiserate with you on that thing, or complain about that guy being very lucky. <laughs> as long as it's as long as it's all the same thing. Yep. Imagine team events would be a lot less good if there's like two very conflicting. Oh, you should have done this, and then suddenly the atmosphere just sours, and you're trapped in hell. But have you had that happen? Not asking you to call anybody out. I'm just. Have you had that that nightmare tournament? And it's certainly with all the, the the people that have played in the World Magic Cup. You know, I wouldn't say I'm amazingly good friends with everyone, mm -hmm. but there's no one I that I like. I could ask everyone to get along. And you think any part of that is is sort of like the small size, the interconnections of the Scottish Magic community? Do you think that plays a part in that? I would say so. Yeah, like. Say like you could have a couple of people at national on American nationals next year make the finals. Mm -hmm. A guy could be from Seattle, another guy could be from Texas, and they could have never crossed paths in their lives before. That's a lot less likely in Scotland. I mean, it's certainly not impossible. And secretly grinding away on Modo in an island, <laughs> they come up smash nationals next year, and we'll be like, wait, who's just the like the internment atmosphere in Scotland seems to be friendly, even no matter what tournament it is. Anyway, mm -hmm. I think people just naturally sort of gel reasonably well. That's definitely pretty good, and uh, probably something that comes from just like you know everybody being more like all the faces being more familiar. Like back in the day, especially from like PTQs, I used to hear some really nightmarish personality issues coming from like bigger regions that would have lots and lots and lots of professionals hmm. trying desperately to qualify for the Pro Tour. But because we're so small, it's not like a realistic goal where you've got a lot of people just trying to climb onto the Pro Tour train. People are more likely to treat each other better, I guess, because you've got the same people over and over again. So, right. right. And if you're alienating people, that's not sustainable in a small community. You know, if if you're some sort of maniac, just being rude to everyone, being aggressive, you'll just get banned from the stores. And, I mean, there aren't many stores in Scotland. We can't, we don't have enough nerds to support a comic <laughs> book store every 500 meters, so. So is that where you do most of your, you know, playing when you're, when you're not able to make it to a GP or whatever? Are, are you in a store a lot? Weirdly, I was actually probably in the store in well in any store like the, about the least of anyone in scotland because for a long time create up did not have a store uh, uh -oh. so if i wanted to go to an event i always needed to travel a, a city to to play in something but to tr go to friday night magic and then finish it 11 o'clock at night and then come home yeah where i live currently falkirk uh, does have a have a store now but it's it's like a new store, so they're they're still figuring things out, and it's it's good for playing like sweet decks at Friday Night Magics and that sort of thing. I, I don't think any I don't think we've ever advocated going to Friday Night Magic and you know just 
treating it as a PTQ and playing as hard as you can. I don't think that's ever been... We've been strongly in favor of going to your local store and playing physical magic there, but I don't think that the the point is to go and play as hard as you can every single time you go. Uh, absolutely. I think depending on your demographic, where mm-hmm. where if if you're at a store that has a lot of spikes, because you know this is a spiky podcast, it's, it's totally it's absolutely no problem turn up with the best deck and standard week after week. If you're going to a store, they've just opened up. Everyone there's only been playing a few months. There's no reason to be that guy that turns up and murders people with the top, the tier one deck of the day every week. And you know, it doesn't. It might encourage some people to beat you, but for a lot of people who are just there to have fun, it, it doesn't give them the chance to to try out new things as much. Yeah, it's just another one of those things where you you kind of have to read the read the room a little bit and just kind of gel with everybody else's personality a little bit if you're. Kind of like coming in from from an outsider perspective. Yeah, like if you're going to a store for the first time, if you just move into a new area and there's a new store, I would advocate going along to see what's up. Just just just, just test the water, and it's a room full of people saying, "Hey, you know, I'm a red mage. How about you? Are you a, a blue mage?" And sure. you're not yeah. going to be like, "Actually, I'm above such feeble concepts. I only play the tier one." <laughs> can still try hard to win but adjust it you can adapt to play an appropriately powered deck and still try and play that deck as good as you can because you'll still you will still get better at playing magic perhaps not strictly the best possible cards you could be playing for this event yeah i think that's true like if you you know you wouldn't learn anything by playing a fully powered standard deck against people's like cards put together with draft leavings but if you sort of restrict yourself to a similar thing then even if you're not practicing any particular format then there's certainly lessons to be gained from from that level of play and lessons to be taught even as well you know you can just like even by playing you know any old deck against somebody who's still learning and still like trying to grasp some concepts you know, you can probably teach them a thing or two, and they'll probably be more receptive to, you know, learning from you in the game than they would be if you just kind of like crushed them with some tier one deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's basically basically that. Like, I I usually try to make the point where learning anything by establishing that your, your amazing deck can beat their new player deck is help the other people in the community learn things by that they haven't seen before using cards in ways that they haven't considered yet. Yeah, and I I think that's something that we kind of... It's easy to forget that just by being experienced magicians, like sometimes we can be ambassadors to new players and it's important to... While it is important to play hard in the times where that's... It's probably important to play hard all the time, but you have to understand what you're doing. And it's very possible to shoo people away from the game just by being dismissive or by making sure their cards don't do anything or something. We can be better ambassadors than that. I do legitimately think it makes you uh, a better and more well-rounded magic player are able to look at uh, different ways to play the game. It's like making a, a, a joke about a subject you need to be able to understand the the topic well enough to know why something is bad to begin with. If you if you only ever the decks that have recently like won an event, 
mm-hmm. you'll never you play good decks and you'll probably mechanically be okay at playing, but you won't truly understand why certain other things aren't quite as good if you never try them out yourself. Sometimes you come across things that are surprisingly good against like real decks. Keep in your back pocket for a situation where this is the time for this spicy cyborg choice. Already figured out things that other people have not figured out. Yeah, I and I don't know that I have quite that experience with like lower powered constructed formats, but I definitely know that like I've taken lessons from limited cards that have stood out to me in limited, especially early on in the format. Like that teaches me to keep an eye out for them, you know, in future iterations of, of standard. Um, so yeah, I think there is a ton to be learned from playing, not just, you know, pick one of the three most popular decks and play it at the next tournament. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, but like you say, when, when it is time to get ready for an event mm-hmm. and you get some like-minded people together for testing, that's a whole different ballgame. That's when you're hardest, you know, like when you're preparing for the World Magic Cup, mm-hmm. very gradually getting back to that topic, we <laughs> were playing alongside the English team in a flat for days, team shields and trying out different configurations of decks. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't doing our two-headed giant conspiracy drafts then. Yeah, there's a time and a place. It's a good way to unwind. Right. See, the thing is, the like the two-headed giant draft was so much more complicated than any standard games we played. Like, I, I can't believe it doesn't make you a bit better at Magic trying to navigate a minefield of weird effects like that. Yeah, just teaching you to pay attention to more things that you might not pay attention to otherwise. Yeah, it's like there's... There is definitely some like conspiracy effects that he had, and we would see a card and go, "This works completely differently with this effect." Yeah, yeah, like that. Where that makes maybe sense. In the future, there will be more cards like the Doran conspiracy. Future will have a leg up on how to draft the all gigantic toughness deck. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, IMA had a soul formation, so maybe you know if you have that in your back pocket, then you go win an IMA PTQ online or something like that. So yeah, I mean, you're kind of doing my job for me a little bit and getting back to the World Magic Cup. So do you want to talk about your preparation for that a little bit? What did you do this year? What have you done in years past? And and I mean, do you think there was anything that went wrong this year? Or not that your performance was particularly bad or anything, but just how did it go? What did you do? And, and would you change anything about it? Well, some of this was covered in the uh, like the Wizards interview they did. Mm-hmm. But every year we do a door championship in in Scotland. It's like a team constructed event in the format of whatever the World Magic Cup is. Okay. Door that feels like it can send a team along. So it's like a testing field, I guess. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean that's, that's a good that's idea. Thing, uh, like as a community, that like, I don't know of other other countries have that where they already have as a team that features in the world magic cup you've already gotten used to sitting next to the the people beside you Mm -hmm. Uh, in the lead up to the event i will always be messaging people because there's there's too many different decks especially when you're considering playing in different types of energy decks yeah so what you can say is in advance, I can message some people, say, hey, could you test this energy build, Cubs? And can you test this version 
without glory bringers or chandras to see if that's playable can you test this without any negates in your sideboard so even before getting to the event you can get other people who maybe aren't on the team involved go by their feedback on where to begin yeah that's really cool and for this event we we went out to the gp in leon mm -hmm. we split up the team a little bit just to get a broader range and once we moved to to nice after leon a couple more sealed pools but for this particular event the team Ixalan sealed portion was not especially bountiful in terms of hidden secrets right so what for for those who haven't played a team sealed event is it is it just sort of the kind of obvious like try to build a merfolk deck try to build a vampires deck or is there anything you know at least a little more interesting than that basically that <laughs> um like we, we when you open up your pools you sort out all the colors we would have one person we just give them all the blue and green cards give one person all the white and black cards and the other person once you've laid out all the playables and cards that you want to play and taken out the chaff mm -hmm. is there a merfolk deck if yes then great is there a vampire deck then great and then find out what's what to do with your red cards sure it does become quite tricky if your pool is awful and there's there's no two drops there's no merfolk deck and then you look at the vampire deck and then you go well it's very weak so then you have to start seeing if there's what which pirate deck there is or a dinosaur that deck that you'll play sure. because normally like the white dinosaur cards and the white vampire cards could split them up into like two different did, did that seem to be sort of the consensus with the other teams like a lot of times people were just sort of sitting down and comparing merfolk and vampire decks and that was deciding who won the match times yeah like uh, like nearly every team had like a blue green deck because like all the all the merfolk cards are like basically only good at merfolk so yeah also was like the best deck when it came together so everyone wanted a good merfolk deck times were certainly not as uniform like not everyone had a vampire deck but they were i think they were the most next most common and then like white red dinosaurs forms of pirates were also there sure. as well the only one that people mostly wanted to avoid was red green dinosaurs unless you had like multiples of the two drop uncommon mana things Mm. Yeah, that makes quite sense. Quite often, be very clunky. Gotcha. Yeah, it definitely seems like there are formats that that lend themselves better to team seal than this one right now. Any Ravnica block, for example. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when when you just have like primary decks that you are looking for because you so often end up in them, then I think that really hurts the team sealed experience. Yeah, pretty much. Standard was somewhat similar. Yeah. Everybody knows that the energy cards. Yeah. And like it was such an easy default to say, well, have your energy deck, a Hazaret deck, and have a blue white deck. I think the majority of teams did something along those lines. It it seemed like over ninety percent of the teams had an energy deck, a red deck, and a blue white deck. That that, that it just felt like every every match that was the three decks on each side. Yeah, that, that's definitely the downside of having the World Magic Cup after the Pro Tour. Mm -hmm. It's an unfortunate consequence of the, the energy mechanic. 
Yeah, and I think that the just like all the formats that were being played were pretty stale at this point, and because they've all kind of existed, like even the limited formats have existed for months now, and everybody's kind of figured out what you know where they want to fall, and a lot of the uh, a lot of these things. So, so I mean, you guys ended up on. Oh yeah, you guys ended up a little bit different. Um, rather than playing red, you ended up on Mardu and then just regular old teamer and then gift. Um, so how did you arrive at that particular configuration? Uh, p- part of our, especially my hypothesis going into the event, cause the easy, obvious choice would be like some kind of Sultai or like Sultai red version of energy. Mm-hmm. Very commonly with the mono red deck. I thought that fully powered like regular teamer was just going to be great against the Sultai decks. Yeah. Uh, generally good against Mono Red. Appropriate sideboarding, you're also generally favored against like stuff like approach. Thought that like full powered normal teamer would just be great for the field. Sure. It's also good against a lot of the random decks that people might have played. This that obviously meant that like your Mono Red deck would not have Chandra and Glorybringer in the sideboard. You can still win easily matches with like just normal draws with Ferocidons and one drops. Mm-hmm. Thought that since Mono Red was so obvious, there were just going to be millions of plans. Like every like every single deck in the room plan against specifically Mono Red, even sure. if they split their strategy between like say the various blue white decks or some of the energy card the anti energy cards would not necessarily be good against every build of energy every single team would have their consoles and a bunch of regal caracals and ether sphere harvesters and maybe a braids are getting cheered around as well mm-hmm. i was never that impressed by mardu like going big cyborg plan anyway and like it just has so much raw power when you when you like your opening hand is playable basically like you're making right. you know, your <laughs> can you uh, cast toolcraft exemplar if so you're good and I, I thought that was, in general, also just better against things like Approach, because you can have, like, black sideboard cards. Yeah. You know, we would win multiple games from a cycling opponent. Turn four, they would just leave all their mana open, and then we would cast Duress, settle the wreckage is no longer in their hand. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Duress Whereas, is pretty good against Settle. To which blue-white deck, I think, and multiples of us on the squad also thought that like the approach decks are like the worst commonly played deck in standard by quite a lot mm-hmm. definitely didn't want to play an approach deck cycling we tried it seemed just a little bit i don't know bad at defending itself in like the like the first few turns of any particular game right definitely gift just seemed like because it has such a strong proactive plan as to beat anybody like it seemed like easily the best version against the red decks because mm-hmm. of sacred cats and sometimes you make a turn four six six lifelink creature. Right, right. Whatever your blue white deck is is definitely the most underpowered of your three decks. So I like that you know picking one that's doing something active and and trying to assemble a powerful thing rather than hoping to deal with all of their cards and win eventually. We also thought that the Mardu deck was also going to be a solid choice against red. Okay. You have, you know, a one mana one two, even with no other artifacts. 
sometimes they won't have a braid in their deck, so they, they won't have any good answers to hearts, and you have like main deck Aethersphere Harvesters. Mm-hmm. You at least had a solid game against Red, if not, like, certainly not a wildly favourable or not matchup, but we felt all of our plans were solid, and for the most part, that was actually true. The, the matches we lost were like super close games. Where we like we're we're just like one one or two spells off like just winning the game like getting our like our Mardu deck got a cycling deck down to one, and then you know bricked off on lands for a few while uh, mm. for a few turns of sure. three while while I simultaneously bricked off on lands against mono black. Yeah, just the the double dagger that's horrifying. I, I thought things were go- going to be going okay, then simultaneously. <laughs> on my left we're both like oh we need to draw a spell here and these spells in a pile this is not good <laughs> you'd think that one of you would get there between the two of you like the match against austria like uh, the first loss in the to start day two was also very close it's like two one like the the matches we lost were not far off going our way felt like we'd picked good decks for the for the environment, just like looking at like the lineups of like most of the teams, it felt generally favored against most of the lineups. Things sure. sort of you know went our way, but but it's magic. It's fine. Like it's it's that it certainly wasn't overwhelmingly favored, so it's mm-hmm. not exactly unreasonable that we we picked up some losses. Yeah, spaced out our our game losses or uh, you know individual game losses a bit more. So that we should have had fewer three uh, victories, and just <laughs> and just split up our loss r- records a little bit. Right, right. You're just wasting effort and and luck and everything on those early matches, and you needed some of that to come back. You know, if you if you're at a team event and you keep three oing all your opponents in the first five rounds, that's that's not the way to do it because you're definitely all going to lose in the next. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for sure. That's. You know it's coming, and it's just it's just not hitting you yet, and you're just waiting for that shoe to drop. So Scotland has been pretty successful over time at the World Magic Cup. I, I think you guys have never missed a day two and two top eights out of, and, and it's only been around since uh, 2012. I mean, you've been kind of a big part of that since you've been on every World Magic Cup team but one. Do you think that that sort of I don't know, like having that team tournament and stuff in, in Scotland, do you think that's a big part of it? Or, or what do you think that Scotland is doing better? Because you can't really argue with those results. Yeah, I, I think it helps to have, between like me and Bradley uh, Barkley, who's been on the team every year except two, mm-hmm. like there's always a sort of solid grounding in how these team events go. Uh, we're encouraging people and working together. Certainly in the past, some other countries perhaps with like one big name player they're not they're not trusting their other teammates to play their matches you know like they would they would try and play the three games at once mm. and see it on their teammates faces where they're they're distracted from their own game with proper preparation even if someone is inexperienced like maybe it's their first time at a big event mm-hmm. like you can get them up to speed on a deck yeah, and I think that's something that other countries have sometimes struggled with, which we have never really have. Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen stuff like that happen in pretty much all team events that I've played in, where you you sit down across from a team and you kind of quickly identify the player that 
that team believes to be kind of like the the captain or the, like the the best player in the team and so often like you know every decision that somebody deems important has to be run by this one player and i think that you know when that's happening it's just completely detrimental to you know the team having success in the long run because the the players don't trust themselves and then that one player doesn't trust the other players to kind of just play their own game yeah and like if you're if your team morale is low, you just you just play worse, right? If you're if you're feeling negative about your deck, like oh man, I'm I'm gonna screw it up because one of your teammates is always ragging on you for playing badly. It's make maybe a a little bit extreme to say it that way, but it definitely feels a bit worse if you're trying your best because you want your team to succeed. If somebody loses, it's not a big deal. You know, you win or lose as a team. Yeah. Definitely. I've gotten tilted and played worse when, like, my opponent has been rude and that's been off-putting to me. And I can't imagine, like, having that sort of feeling coming from a teammate who's supposed to be there and be my friend and be working with me. And and it wouldn't have to be somebody being rude, even, but if that, like, respect and positivity isn't there, I think that can really ruin the experience and make you play a lot worse. Like, so in previous years, like sometimes people would come up with different terminology for teams and team events. <laughs> for example, you could have a, a Cloud Goat Ranger team. So you would have one three three player, but they would come along with three one ones. But like often, the Acacian Town teams would actually do better than them because they were just focusing on their own games a lot better. Acacian Town being six mana to get four one ones, by the way. <laughs> if people don't know what that classic is. <laughs> how could Excellent. they not? I how could anyone yeah. not know Acacian Town? I mean obviously it's a little bit of fun to to use magic cards to refer to other things. Yeah. I thought it what it did tend to work out that way where I mean it, it's obviously fantastic to have a wonderfully experienced player on your team. If, you know, let's say Yuya Watanabe moved to Scotland this year and took over, <laughs> you would be looking to him for lots of lots of things. Also, wouldn't want to, because everything, every decision has to go through him because then that distracts from his gameplay as well. Yeah. I would say for, for reference that Japan's team this year was easily a crush of worms. A crush of worms. <laughs> I was going to say precursor golem, but uh, that seems pretty good as well. Yeah, and and I mean that like that's definitely true. Sometimes you get teams like that where everybody is phenomenal, but that's not, that's certainly not going to happen when one of the ways when two of the slots on the team are just whoever manages to spike nationals. So it's pretty cool that you guys tend to have someone there who not only has experience playing in high level tournaments, but specifically has experience playing in team tournaments like the World Magic Cup. So that that sounds like it helps, right? Well, for example, as a as a tangential team this year, because uh, we were playing with England, like in our testing flat, because it was it's a lot easier to practice when there's a bunch of people in a flat rather than just three of you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I and I know one of the English players, uh, Ross, hadn't really played in that many large events before, so you know he was saying that he was a bit nervous in that sort of thing going into it throughout the testing days. You know, he just got used to his deck, and he's obviously very capable. He made the finals at Nationals. 
at the start of the week, he might have regularly asked for opinions on, you know, mulligan decisions that he could tell if he was confident. Mm -hmm. And because his confidence was built up, he got to the main event, did great. He, as far as I'm aware, he had a very solid time. Didn't miss a single Ferocidon trigger. Yeah, because, you know, but that's something that can be ironed out. Because if you're nervous, so like during testing, sometimes we would say, look, this, this got missed. And then at the event, didn't miss a single one. It doesn't have, you know, 15 years of experience to get someone like confident and practiced in a deck. You can do just as well as. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, one of the things you don't necessarily see a lot because it's behind the scenes, but it sounds like this is well, the World Magic Cup is an opportunity for some of the players to grow a lot because I'm sure, you know, he's a better player after, just in general after all of this preparation. Sure, I mean, like, he's, uh, he's someone I, I hadn't really met before as because he's, he's, he's newer. I think he's played in like one GP. Mm hmm. That's not a knock on anyone's like inherent ability or anything. Just right, right. Of course, by not. starting to play Magic at a more recent date than someone else, I'm trying to say as as um as much as possible that he, he did great and like everyone else did great. But if this was like a different team, mm -hmm. let's say somebody was uh, going into like a, a different team and they're not they're not feeling as confident, you could easily just run him into the ground being dismissive like it doesn't need to be like if you're in a team and you're hearing your teammates say something like to win this game because we can't trust steven to win his match you're that's just gonna that's just gonna tank your performance yeah no kidding yeah i mean that's that's definitely an excellent point and i i've definitely heard people say that based on like matchups but yeah if, if people are saying something like that based on like you know their perceived skill of the player then that's probably pretty detrimental yeah to clarify i Obviously, some matchups can be unwinnable, but if right. you're, let's say, for example, I make a mistake in round one, and it could cost me cost me a game. Keep saying like, look, I don't know, like I don't know if I'm going to be able to concentrate on my match. Busy looking at Steven to make sure he's not doing that same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's way more distracting for me and them than just saying we're, we're just going to carry on from here and do our best. Right. Yeah. And you got to trust that your teammates, you know, even if they make mistakes, then, you know, hopefully they can just learn from those mistakes and move on, you know, even even like round to round. Right. It's not like, you know, the, the players that are playing this level aren't going to make a mistake and then just make it again over and over again at that tournament. Everyone makes mistakes. Like I, I, like, I know I certainly made mistakes at this event. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. After the rounds, the other guys were going, we could have we could have won this round if you hadn't like done this thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe they would have if we'd lost those particular rounds. But no, no, they wouldn't. The mechanics of being in a successful team between team to team, mm -hmm. I've certainly found that we really come together as a team rather than three individual players. That's good, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, I unfortunately have not played in all that many team tournaments so i don't have a ton of experience with that i do know that the one bad thing about team tournaments for me is that when i do make a mistake it feels really crushing because i'm not just letting myself down and i hate letting other people down but i've never i've certainly never been in a situation where people were ragging on me for i mean maybe good naturedly but not like actually angry at me for letting the team down or anything but i'd certainly have been disappointed with myself in that situation but to look at it from a different way that might make you 
actually just play better because you're paying more attention. You're being more on the ball about triggers and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Obviously, the, the, the downside of I won my match, but both my teammates lost their match. And yeah, sometimes, that's... and you can occasionally be, you know, the way I look at it is that only have a team record and your individual record, if if it's good, if it, your individual record was better than everyone else, you get to tell your mum when you go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, yeah, that's a good point. So how did it go? How come you went out? That's, that is your time to be like, well, you know, I won every one of my matches, but unfortunately, you know. <laughs> yeah, typically when I play in team tournaments, I just don't keep track of my own personal record. And sometimes that's due to the fact that, you know, my teammates are finishing before me and then I just kind of like lose track because I haven't finished all of my matches. But I have found a trend of, in team events that I've played in, I just, have, at the end of the tournament, people ask me what my personal record is, and I just have no idea. I think that's good. I think that's yeah. the way to approach it. Probably best for my own ego if I don't keep track of my own personal record. <laughs> right, yeah. It probably has something to do with it, too, for sure. So, what is next for you, Steven? I mean, I, I don't know exactly what you're doing magic career wise but what's what's in the cards at the moment well did you guys see the um you guys see the interview that wizards did with the scottish team in her flat yes i did see that yep and who hasn't seen that and is listening to this should probably go and watch that for me right now i'm in whatever magic i'm able to get to if i hadn't cashed the world magic up there i would almost certainly be going to like one gp yeah, lost everything over the last year, so I wasn't really in a position to throw a bunch of money away going to expensive GPs in Europe and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I can justify trying to spike things again. Realistically speaking, I I just I just want to play more pro tours because they're definitely very sick tournaments to attend. Some fabulous PPTQs. Maybe I'll hit bronze. But for the most part, I'm trying to sort stuff out in in real life, so to speak and mm-hmm. playing magic whenever possible. But I'm certainly not going to be found at every European GP or right. in the upcoming future. Um, so if you don't want to actually talk about any of that stuff, that, that that's totally okay, that's totally up to you. But I, I actually really wouldn't mind talking about it if you're okay, because I actually, my brother died um, not long before Yulia did. Um, and that's, that's actually like, he taught me how to play magic and, and, and I don't know that I really have like the words to, to talk about this. And I have no idea if this ends up in the podcast itself or anything like that. But, you know, my, my younger brother, John was the one who taught me how to play magic when we were little kids. He, he suffered from depression and and some pretty serious um bipolar symptoms and that sort of thing but the one thing we could always talk about was magic um even when he wasn't playing very much at all like we could always talk about like the new set or you know just spoilers or or whatever deck i was playing at the time or anything like that and then after he died like not a lot of things made sense to me um and still don't really but like going and hanging out with my friends and and playing magic and then even like going and playing competitive magic still is is something that kind of 
I don't know, is, is a place that I can be that kind of makes sense to me a little more than, than a lot of other things. I mean, that, that, that definitely makes some sense. So I moved out to Romania and I intended to basically, like that was going to be it for me, magic wise, mm-hmm. uh, for probably quite a while. And everything uh, went downhill and uh, Yulia passed away just after the uh, 16 World Magic Cup. Yeah. Uh, many other things that normally fun or to try and get me like feeling all right were mm-hmm. sort of tainted. I'm not going to continue watching the Outlander TV series, for example, because we always used to watch that together. I've got like a bunch of PlayStation games that we would play together. Yeah. And she she did have one sanctioned Magic the Gathering event. We played in a two-headed giant pre-release in <laughs> Bucharest. Magic is still mostly separate from that. And since I've been with Magic for clearly over half my life at this point, yeah, have a lot of the same negative feelings towards it, and it's something for me to obsess over. Obsessive personality when I'm like getting into something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thinking about stuff a lot or con- like things will be, you know, if I'm if I'm like, you know sometimes I pick up like a new game for a while, really into it, and I'll be thinking about strategies and stuff a lot. Magic goes waxes and wanes exactly how much i'm into it at any given time excellent place to sink my thoughts a a very thin silver lining (laughs) in that while i was over there i'm not going to be able to qualify for kyoto Mm -hmm. i was not going to have like a constructed deck i mean i guess i could have just bought one and but then there was only going to be what like two pptqs in the entire country eight, eight hours bus away so the magic scene in romania is not exactly bustling in terms of pptq locations sure <laughs> at least when i got back i'm like hey Yokohama, go to kyoto since i'm like a sort of secret weeaboo i guess well, not so secret anymore. At least a couple of people are listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> no, they know, they know I like the animes. Oh boy, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, but but you know, I also really loved like all the temples and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was like, I want to go there and it provided a uh, reason that I would actually leave the house instead of, you know, curled up in a ball under a blanket. Yeah, man. I That, that completely makes sense to me there like there's just so few things that are capable of like occupying my mind in a way that like i can feel better um and like magic has definitely been one of the few things that i can just do so i yeah i get that like part of it is a lot of things in life i i'll find lots of things quite interesting Mm -hmm. but not like like, oh, yeah, I'm really into geography. Yeah. You know, that's, that's it's interesting, but I'm not motivated by it. That's, like, the same by for lots of other things. Qualifying for the Pro Tour was a good enough motivator to want to try. Sure. It's a, you know, very small consolation prize, but, yeah, I, I want to try to qualify for Kyoto 
was something I actually did care about a certain amount. The last year would have been a lot more difficult because, like, when you don't care about things, then that's when things start to slip downhill. Yeah. In the sense that, like, well, you need to, you need to, you know, get back in the job market. But if you don't really care, like, down on your heart feels pointless and, you know, why even work? It's not really a true motivator to get you going again. Like, a lot of that still is fairly true for me. Like it's it's like something I don't need to say with any qualification. Like to play more cards, and I would like to win events and qualify for things. Yeah, for sure. I I totally understand that. I when I go into work, I mean, I've had a couple of different jobs, you know, in the past year. It is so difficult for me to go in and think this is important. But somehow, when I go to a tournament, whether it's a, a small one at a store and I'm hanging out with friends, or if I've gone to a larger one. Like, I'm all in. Like, that's what I'm doing. And there aren't a lot of things that I that do that to me anymore. Uh, I'm sure, like, psychologists have done studies about this. But, like, when you are in certain environments, like, your your train of thought, like, your your the way you think literally changes. When I'm in a tournament and I'm applying all the things I learned, like, I definitely play very differently at a tournament. I've focused a lot more. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not the best playtesting partner in the world because he quite sloppily, and I'll be like, "Wow, why did I do this?" <laughs> then, when I'm at an event, I would just never do like a lot most of these things. But but when I'm at a tournament, like th- like the rest of the world just seems to vanish for a while. Yeah, that's definitely good for me. I think. Yeah, I think. It's it's important to have that every once in a while. So yeah, I I get it. I I, I agree completely. The kind of thing where like if I was at like let's say I'm, I was younger school, like I could come back and play. You're sort of immersed in your what you're doing, and you're not paying attention to stuff. But if those things that used to do that are now associated with trying not to actively remember all the time, you need you need different things. So yeah, definitely. Fortunately, Magic and doing the best I can at Magic tournaments, excellent way for me to get out of my shell and back into the world. Yeah. For, for as much that Magic the Gathering tournaments count as the real world. You know, I, and I, I, I know what you're saying there. Yeah, you go to a Magic tournament and it's definitely a bubble. And it do, it's not representative of, like, humanity in general or anything like that. But it certainly it can be an important part of your life and the friendships that I've made through magic have been like super real friendships. Having it there for me has been pretty important during some rough patches. And it sounds like it's not so different for you. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that actually, Um, because certainly lots of magic players have come up to me. A lot of the English players as well, because I used to go down there for EDQs all the time. Mm -hmm. Like they, you know, they'll come up to me and be like, I'm very sorry to hear about stuff, give me a hug, all that kind of thing. I mean, people will say, if you need anything, let me know. Mm-hmm. But they just, they're just saying it on the assumption that you're not actually going to ask them for anything. Right. <laughs> uh, whereas a lot of Magic players, you know, ones that I don't even know that well, and I would never think of asking someone I didn't know that well for help with certain things, have went out of their way to make themselves available. You know, I'm like, wow, they helped me. I, 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 I guess they liked me better than I thought, which is a better, 
it's like a good feeling to know that people that you maybe don't hang out with all the time think of you and that also helps a lot so yeah yeah definitely cool well yeah we definitely went off on sort of a heavier heavier topic than we usually hit on on this show but i'm glad that we got a chance to talk about that stuff and sort of a little bit more well practiced at talking about it now yeah yeah you kind of get there eventually i don't know anything else that you want to talk about we're kind of getting to you know sort of the length that we like the episodes to be at um but if you've got anything uh that we haven't hit on yet that you'd like to we definitely should should make sure to think so i think we've covered most of it i will point out however yes uh that at the start of the show that you said i was a two-time national champion oh are you a three-time national champion i will point out however that the number is higher because i've been captain on the world magic cup although there wasn't a nationals to win ah okay 2017 scottish nationals was the very first scottish national championship as in like a tournament okay 2006 and i also won the 2006 one I've been the reigning national champion for, for like 11 years. years so. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I see no, I see nothing, no fallacies in that claim. No, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll just have to edit this, edit these podcast notes here to make them correct. But yeah, definitely wouldn't want to short you your accomplishments or shorten your reign. Hey, you know when you haven't really made a big impact on the pro tour scene you've got to you've got to you've got to reach out for things uh, <laughs> tell the star city games people expand into scotland no uh, kidding we're, gonna, we're, we're searching hard for things to achieve so. i i am actually that is actually one thing that i wanted to ask you about so i've been looking you know, I'm, I'm here, I want to try to play Magic if I can, as much as I can. Um, and I've traveled to a couple of PPTQs, and clearly I know when and where the GPs are. But do you have any advice on how to play Magic in Europe in general? I, well, I'm not up to date on some of the, like, legacy-type events. I know sometimes there are mm-hmm. European, like, legacy, like, vintage-type things knocking around. Sure know about like tournament circuits like we definitely don't have a star city games equivalent what we do have are occasionally some really sweet events i would recommend the looking up axion now okay i don't know about this at all in a game store down in england they have these mega weekends uh, so they, these are being run by uh, like a tournament organizer called uh, Francois. Puts on the most absurdly good tournaments. So there's one in the start of January, for example. It's the Mega Weekend where there's a Mega Legacy event and a Mega Modern event. The Legacy event has like just tons of jewels, boosters to be handed out. Like creates, you know, like a case of booster boxes. And the Mega Modern event has the grand prize of winning two like flights for you plus one to anywhere in the world that you would like to go oh that's awesome and, yeah like and and still like a crate for everyone else at top eights and tons of boxes for everybody in like the top 32 and that kinds of like they're just they're just amazing these cool. the, the flights are two flights to anywhere you want it's because uh like the last one if you win you get two flights to vegas Oh, for the GP weekend? 
people actually complained that <laughs> well i you know i can't go to vegas wow just not good enough <laughs> how about we make it even better what if you want to go to the gp in sydney and you know they will get you flight to sydney these That's are cool. these are events that i would never miss if i can remotely help it they're usually held at very accessible points like airports in Birmingham or something like that. So it's not very difficult to, even if you're living in Germany or something. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. That is really good advice. I didn't know about these tournaments at all, but now I'm pretty excited to hit them up. They usually get sold out in advance. You know, okay. like the, they'll have like a 350 player cap or something. And I'm probably going to, like, I will go and play in the Legacy one if someone can lend me a Legacy deck. That's exactly what I say every time there is a legacy tournament. I'll probably go play if somebody can lend me a legacy deck. I haven't been brave slash foolish enough to invest in legacy so far. I've, I've managed to resist the siren call. <laughs> uh, I know. The many enthusiastic legacy players who have multiple legacy decks. I'm sure one of them can help me out in that regard. Yeah, that's good. That would be awesome. I, I love playing legacy. I just don't play enough of it I, i'm terrible at it because i don't play enough of it and then that also definitely keeps me from wanting to buy cards because i i mean i'm not buying i'm not buying underground seas that's not happening but uh yeah i would love uh, to play more like probably not can. the best use of my limited resources right now so yeah mine mine neither uh it doesn't keep me from fantasizing about owning grixis delver or something like that um, it just build mono black. Nothing ever beats mono black. <laughs> Good old <laughs> mono black. I I mean I I am considering investing in black red reanimator because it's not it's not nearly as large of an investment. But I don't know if that's actually a good idea. It definitely seems like one of those decks that disappears after uh, six months or so. I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that with that we've pretty much covered everything is there any place on the internet that people can reach you uh if you want to like ask you questions or talk to you about anything how do they get in touch with you i do have a twitter at jex murray i'm down somewhere so i don't need to spell it out you shouldn't post a blog thing cool. they're also linked on my twitter so awesome yeah so I, that... I, I wouldn't go expecting like any like hot top secrets or anything but just when i feel like it i will yeah, and yeah. if you're like feeling masochistic, you can like read some of the older posts, and then people can cry at them. I have actually done that, and I am not afraid to say that I did cry a little bit when I read them. So, you know, your mileage uh, may vary for for other people that go read them, but it's the weatheredwayfarer.wordpress.com is it's worth a look. I, I would definitely check it out if I were a listener. Cool. Well, and if you guys want to reach us, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at at MTG underscore Grindcast. Um, you can also find Collins at Collins Mullen on Twitter. And yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, have a great week. We will see you next time.